Hi everyone and welcome to another Bible study here at One Love Live at Love Walk and I am your host Lila Winston. I pray that you are well. I pray that God is moving in your life and you are growing into your purpose. As you know, we come together to read in the word of God so that we can practically apply it in our lives and also so that we can accomplish the purpose of our lives. And so today we are going to do a study that I think really does push us toward understanding God in a better way and the challenges that we will face in our purpose and also in a practical ways that we live our life. So this is sort of a two-pronged Bible study that talks about both purpose and practice. And I think this is really important because we have to marry those two together, which sometimes is quite difficult. But um, I want you to go ahead and grab your Bible. Our anchor text is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. You know it well. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 and 4. So today, I want you to throw out everything you know about this chapter. And I want you to look at it with new eyes with me today. I want to ask you a question about what we just read. And please, take a moment if you need to pause it and think about this. What was wrong with making stones bread? That is my question to you. What is wrong with making stones bread? Okay. What was sinful about it? Can you tell me that? That's my second question. What was sinful about Jesus Christ turning bread into stones? I want to point out that he was finished with his fast at this point. So what was wrong with Jesus Christ turning uh, stones into bread? How was this a temptation? That is my third question to you. How is this a temptation? that the wicked one tells him to turn stones into bread, okay? I want you to note that Jesus performed many miracles. Would this not just be another one? What was wrong with this one? Why couldn't he turn these into bread? Wouldn't that be miraculous? I I just want to ask questions. I'm not playing the devil's advocate. What I'm trying to do is ask you some thought-provoking questions to provoke you to come to a conclusion and ask yourself these questions. Because when we talk about the practical application of scripture, are we really talking about a sin right here? To turn stones into bread when you are finished with your fast. Hmm? How is this a temptation? Because remember, we are told that this is a temptation. So I'm going to make some guesses, okay? I'm pretty sure you're making some guesses. Perhaps it was because he told him to prove that he was the son of God. Okay? But, you know, that isn't what he said to Satan. He didn't say, I am the son of God and therefore I don't need to turn this to bread. He didn't say that. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. So the temptation was not about his deity. 
think about that, okay? It's not entirely about his deity. Yes, he could have turned stones into bread. Yes, we have read this and we have seen this. Yes, Satan will tempt you in, you know, proving yourself and your deity. This is absolutely 100% true. But I want you to look at this with new eyes with me, okay? We've looked at it. We have in these Bible studies looked at this very verse. But I'm asking you to see something new today. It was about humility, okay? This temptation was not about deity, it was about humility. In fact, the quote is not one of the Ten Commandments. This whole, where did he get that from? Man shall not live by bread alone. Is that a commandment? Is he being tempted to break a commandment here? No, he is not being tempted to break a commandment. So if, so it's not as if making these uh, bread, these stones into bread was actually a sin, right? It was about being humble or obedient to the will of God. And that is what I think we need to understand. He's not tempting him with breaking a commandment. He's not. He really isn't. If you look at this, go find the commandment that says, you know, thou shalt not turn stones into bread. It does not exist. It does not exist. I went and I checked. It was about being humble or obedient to the will of God. And so many times we think Jesus was coming up with new ideas sometimes in scripture, but really he was just doing the will of his father by saying what had already been said. So when we try to find context here in this scripture of, you know, he's not really breaking a commandment here. Turning bread into, I mean, turning stones into bread isn't necessarily wrong. So what is he saying? Why does Jesus make a quote? Why does Jesus say, Man shall not live by bread alone as though it's a commandment. Because if you look at all of the other temptations, he uses commandments were the word of God to rebuke the devil. So he's using this to rebuke the devil as well, right? So what? why is he using this and where does it come from? It comes from a quote from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And we're going to look at that right now. And let's, let's just start at uh, verse 1 so that we can have a little context. It says, All the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these forty years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. That, my friends, is what Jesus Christ was quoting in this temptation. He was not quoting, thou shalt not, you know, commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. He was not quoting that kind of commandment. Think about what is being said in this Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. He is talking to the children of Israel before they go into the land. He's telling them that the Lord has tested them for 40 years. Incidentally, 
Jesus Christ was led into the wilderness and tempted of the devil, devil 40 days. I think you should see the connection. It literally says wilderness and there's literally 40 years. And he said he did this to humble you and to prove you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments. Think about what it's saying here. Does that have anything to do with his commandments? No, he said he did this to prove you to see whether you would do his commandments. And he said he humbled you and suffered you to be hungry. Think about that. And to feed from manna, which you or your fathers didn't know, but he said he did this so that you would know that men live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said, man shall not live, not man does not live. I think you need to grab that point. When Jesus quoted this Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he didn't say man does not live by bread alone. He said man shall not live by bread alone. Shall is a proclamation. It is a dictate. To say does not is a fact, right? You know, uh, turtles do not fly. Or uh, let's see, water uh, does not, I don't know, burn. Okay, it's a fact. But shall not is different. To say shall not is a dictate. This means God is not saying that the man doesn't need bread but that he requires that man not live by bread alone. That's what he's saying. He's not telling you that you you don't live by bread alone. He's saying, I require that you do not live by bread alone, that man must not live by it alone, that God has ordained that man not be sustained only by bread, that there needs to be times when he is hungry, when he needs something, In a way, he's telling Satan, I must be hungry. In the same way he might tell his disciples, I must go into this city. There is an appointment with destiny and a willful submission to a will that may not be your own. That's what we're getting at. In a way, Satan isn't tempting him to eat bread, but to break process. That is what Satan is tempting him with. A process that... Christ could see, but often that we as humans, as poor little humans, often are blind to see. And this process is chastening, as we shall see in the succeeding verses from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Often for us, we're just hungry. We just want the thing we want. We just want to go to the place we want. And we do not understand what he wants of us And sometimes we don't really care if we're honest. We just want to satiate the hunger and stop the need or the thing that we're trying to get or the place or the career or the, you know, home or whatever it is, the position. You see, we do not understand what he wants of us. Okay? So what we need to see is that maybe he's saying man needs food But man also needs hunger. Hmm. Man needs things ordained of him by God to grow. So he's saying to get the nutrients you need in life, sometimes you need 
not to eat bread. So just as we believe that you need to eat food and that's going to keep you healthy, this verse, this concept is the idea that God knows what is best for you and that sometimes you need hunger. Man needs things ordained of him by God. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Look at what it says just down underneath that verse, okay? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4 and 6, it says, Your raiment waxed not old upon you, neither did your foot swell these forty years. You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord thy God chastens you. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. And if you remember, the Spirit led Jesus Christ into the wilderness to fast and to be tempted. The Spirit communicates those things ordained by God. So Christ needed to go and to fast and to hunger. Remember, the fast was over, so why was there a need to be hungry? Chastening. In a way, chastening is preparation for promotion and blessing. Look at what it goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7 to 10. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7 to 10. For the Lord thy God brings you into a good land. I want to point out, just breaking from the scripture, it says for. So it means for this reason, God let you be hungry. He gave you manna. He chastened you for because the Lord your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks of water of fountains and depths and spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olives, and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which God hath given you. That's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7 and 10. So you see, when we look at the temptation of bread in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 and 4, it is not a scripture only about satisfying your own needs nor is it a scripture about proving your deity or your greatness, or in our cases, our relationship with God. This is a scripture about following or submitting to the process of God, the leading of the Spirit, the chastening of God, and every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word chastening in Hebrew means discipline, to correct or instruct. There are some things we go through that are not because of sin or Satan, but because God is correcting something in us by building discipline. So to be a disciple, you must also face discipline and instruction in real-world tangible ways. That's the difference between being a disciple and just being a student. Students read about it. Disciples live it. And even if you have done nothing wrong, okay, 
Correction is setting something or someone on a path or helping them attain a level of discipline and mastery in an area that at times may be painful. You see, a doctor must sometimes break a bone to reset it right, and also he may need to cut into the flesh to remove a thorn. It's beyond people and what people think. What people think you can do, what you actually can do, it's about sticking to a process, following a course regardless of your capacity to change it. It is also about trusting God regarding, uh, regardless of his capacity to change your situation. And I really think this is so key, you know, that God can change some circumstances in life. He can make some healings occur. He can create some provision. He can fix some relationships, but, but he hasn't. He has instead asked you to live by his word in this area of your life. I want to show you something in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 and 11. Actually, let's start at verse 5. Verse um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 6. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as ch- unto children. My son, despise not you the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. So we as children and as sons must endure some chastisement. He is correcting in us, in our soul, things we cannot touch with human hands. And only he knows what it takes to correct us properly. For we are his sons. And yes, we are his sons. I want to point this out in the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, verse 38. It says so plainly. I just want to prove this to you in scripture. It says, and this is a genealogy, and they're saying this is the son of this person, and this is the son of that person. But in the very last verse in Luke chapter 3, it says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. And now we see that Adam was God's son, plainly said in this chapter. You see, we have to understand that now that we have been engrafted back into the family from that spiritual separation of sin, we are his sons. And if we are like Emmanuel, then we, like him, must be chastised too. So we see this thing that Jesus could well have made or provided bread for himself, not only with stones, but absolutely anything. In this instance that he did not and that he answered Satan after this manner implies that he was following a process. He was fulfilling that he shall in this moment live on the word of God. Not that he doesn't, or it implies that he must only live on this, but that he shall, in that it is a command and a choice to follow. Like the command, thou shalt not commit adultery, you know that command? It's not as if you can't commit adultery. 
It is that you shall not commit it and that you must choose and submit your will under the command. That is what Christ is proving in this temptation also. He is proving that you must in certain times submit your will under the command to hunger in an area of your life for the purpose of living by the word of God. This means sometimes you must be a contradiction to mankind for the purpose of God. I'm just sorry about that. It's just true. If God's word says be hungry, then today we go without even food. Look at what God is telling us really. He is asking you to live according to the kingdom of God within you and not the world around you. This means sometimes you don't see the reason for a command, for a situation, or an issue, but God asks you to endure it for that which you cannot see, the word of God. The seed down in your heart that must grow, the kingdom growing inside of you and believers all over the world. This is not just a challenge of deity by Satan or even process even only, but capacity. As we said in the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, but you do have the capacity, but you are commanded to submit your capacity under the command or the will of God. This is discipline. And this is also humility. The very definition of humility is exactly what he's asking Christ to do when he says, Thou shalt not live by bread alone. This verse is asking believers to submit their capacity, not always an evil capacity, okay? This is not talking about evil sin because there's no sin in turning stones into bread, okay? It is to submit under the word or rule or rulership of God, even when it is possible to do an entirely different thing. You see, this is one of those Job and friends moments, okay? I think Job is a great example for this particular point. And if we think about Job, I think the stones and bread uh, temptation is a great, um, it's really a great example of Job's life. You see, Job's friends, for the entire, or I would say the lion's share of the book of Job, were saying exactly the same thing that Satan was saying in the temptation of stones to bread. Think about that. He says, if you be a righteous man, why has God allowed this calamity? Wasn't that what all of Job's friends were saying? Why are you in trouble, Job? (laughs) Why is this happening to you? If you're such a righteous man, why did you lose everything? Why did this happen to you? What's going on in your life? If he's a righteous God, think about it this way. We can look at it a different way. If you be, if he is a righteous God, how could he let this happen? How could he let this happen? If God is righteous, these are different tacks that different people take. Some people say, oh, I must have done something wrong or someone must have done something wrong. Some say, well, if you're so righteous God, how could you let this happen? Do you remember somebody actually said that specifically almost to Job? If he is a righteous God, how could he let this happen to you? Job, curse your God and die. Think about it. And then we look at the temptation. If you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Don't let yourself be hungry. It's the same temptation. It's the same process. It's the same concept. 
See, Jesus replied, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Bread is the stuff of life, the things we need to live to survive and thrive. Job lost all of his bread, both literally and figuratively. In American urban slang, just so you'll know, just in case you're not from here, we often refer to money as bread. So Job lost everything. He lost his bread. Jesus had no bread. But Jesus' reply tells us that there will be times when we must submit to not having bread. Whatever that bread may be, whether it's a literal bread, whether it's money bread, whether it's resources, whether it's a situation or relationship, a necessary addition or a skill or career or whatever it could be. And it is these times that we learn that we must absolutely submit to God's word and not our need and not the bread. It's called chastening. If you look at the temptation of Job, which the book should have been rightly called, The Temptations of Job, we see that family, friends, and life was tempting Job to curse God, to move from under the ordained word of God. How do we know that Job knew that he was living under the word of God? Because he said, yet though he slay me, yet will I trust him in Job chapter 13, verse 15. You see, you have to trust his word, trust in him. We only trust in a person's word because we trust in the person. If a thief or a liar makes you a promise, you don't trust that word. But God, who is faithful, tells us to trust his word, his word, because he is his word. And by trusting his word, we demonstrate our trust in him. Job teaches us that there is a necessity to submit to the word of God in the absence of bread when we know he could provide it. Everyone around Job knew that God could turn his situation and bless him. In the past, people regarded his riches and abundance as evidence of God's approval on his life. But actually, this moment where he had absolutely nothing was really the greatest moment of God's approval on Job's life because he didn't curse God. It is why when he lost everything and people said, oh, Job must have transgressed, he still obeyed. God has taken away the bread because Job is evil, they say, but that's not why. In reality, it was by the word of God that Job lost everything. Was it not God that suggested Job to Satan? Look at Job chapter one, verse seven and eight. And the reason he suggested Job to Satan was because he approved him. He approved of his life so much. Look at it. Job chapter 1 verse 7 and 8 it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro the earth, and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. That's Job chapter one, verse seven and eight. So it was not sin that cast Job into poverty and calamity. Sure, God didn't do it to him. Think about it. This is a great example of how God doesn't do things to us, but sometimes he allows certain things to happen. But God did allow Satan to access him to a certain degree in his life. 
And I want you to also recall the paralyzed man that people ask, did this man sin or did his parents sin? Which, who's sinned in this scenario? And do you remember what Christ said? He said, neither. Rather, it was an opportunity for the glory of God. That's John chapter 9, verse 1 and 3. And then we see this again with Lazarus when Christ waited intentionally in John chapter 11, verse 14 and 16. Christ said that this was for the glory of God, that they might believe, to trust in him more, to put more faith in the character of God. These are lessons in deciding to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God as a choice of your will, even when you know God can change it. And let's face it, that it's possible the number one reason that people walk away from the faith is that they know God could change it. He could change the stones to bread, but he doesn't. This is why men walk away from God, because he could have changed that situation. He didn't have to let that happen to me. He didn't have to let that happen to my friend, my my mother, my sister, my dog. (laughs) He didn't have to let that happen to my business. He didn't have to let that happen to my country. He didn't have to let that happen to me. But the truth is, whether you believe in God or not, There will always be times when you have more stones than bread. When life seems unfair or hard like a stone, yet Christ offers us a consolation in knowing that God is faithful. And by somehow or some way, he has purposed and, and he has good for your life. And it is determined in this very moment that everything will work to the good of those that love the Lord to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, the deception of the enemy is for you to decide not to live by the word of God when there is an absence of bread, to believe all things are not working to your good. The deception of the enemy is for you to curse your God and die. He needs you to turn away in disappointment, in hurt, in anger and loss because he knows God is a God that works. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. He works all things to the good of them that love him and that are called according to his purpose. So don't leave the call chasing the bread. Instead, submit to the word of God in this period of your life And let him who began a good work in you complete it until the day of salvation. Thank you so much for tuning in. I pray God blesses you. Bye. Thank you for being a part of the One Love Live Love Walk Bible Study. I appreciate you. But perhaps you've stumbled onto this Bible study and you're not yet become a believer. I want to encourage you to take the time to accept the Lord Christ into your life. I want you to know that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that the Lord Jesus is Lord, that you will be saved. If you can go ahead with me, close your eyes and pray. Oh Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive me of my sins. 
I will, will repent of my sins right now. That is, I will turn away from all the sins that I have done from before until now. And I want to seek to follow you. Lord, open my eyes and my heart to your truth. I accept you into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And I accept the Holy Spirit as the comforter and guide in my life. Continue to lead me. And I thank you so much for hearing my prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed that prayer, then you are now a believer. And I want you to believe in your heart. And if you have a chance, reach out to me and let me know that you receive the Lord. There's ways that you can contact me if you look in the description of this uh, Bible study. And I look forward to hearing from you and helping you on your love walk. Don't forget to sign up for our devotional emails so that you can be encouraged in your faith and grow. God bless you.